As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, this book we open contains your word. You breathed it out through these people who wrote it, but it's yours. And, and we trust that. We believe that. We come uh, to listen. We come to understand. And we come in the fear of the Lord and humility saying, Lord, we don't know. Please instruct us. Please teach us about you, about us, about the life that is before us. And so we pray now that you'll help us even as we read and even as we think these things together. And even as we come to your table. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Daniel in chapter 12. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12, please. And please hear the word of God. Verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been, seen, been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, then I, Daniel, looked. And behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed, clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. For the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, excuse me. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, and, and this, we come on this first Sunday of Advent to the end of this prophetic, this prophetic book. Um, as we've gone through Daniel, we realize that in some sense it doesn't all feel like uh, prophetic, using this apocalyptic kind of language. The first six chapters seem to come rather nicely. The last six 
kind of oddly, really, this apocalyptic language, this language that, 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 that enables us to both have uh, truth revealed to us, but also enables us to feel it in various ways, whether it's fear or, or anger or confusion or, or whatever that is, even peace at times. But it enables us to feel it as well, to, is to see it, if you will, to, to come to understand at least some of it. And, and, and yet all in the midst of this mystery of, of what really is to come. So it's, it's, it's an amazing way to communicate both the feeling and the mystery of it all uh, at the end of it when we come. Um, and so thus, here we are. Um, and it's fitting because this is the... I can't see it, but this is the, 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 the first Sunday of Advent. The prophet candle is lit. And, and, and we come celebrating during this time of the year, this sort of beginning of the church year, really. Beginning of the year to, to begin to think about the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. But not only that, his first Advent, but also his second Advent as well. That's been a concentration uh, for us, not only the first, but the second Advent as we've come through uh, Daniel. And, and now even on this Sunday to think that. Again, this second advent of Jesus. That's where we seem to find ourselves, this expression, at that time, Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, at that time, at what time? Well, at this time of the end, because it's going to be a time of resurrection. We can see it uh, at the end of the, the middle of this verse one. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. You see that he's talking about the end. He's talking about this time when when everyone, everybody shows up again and everybody comes back for this time of, of judgment. And, and some will be given at that moment in time uh, this pardon this everlasting life and some everlasting punishment. So that's where we find ourselves, is where Daniel finds himself in the midst of this vision, in the midst of what we know to be the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. Now, it's likely that Daniel would have not been able to speak of advent in the plural. It's likely that he saw it all together. It's likely that he saw it as, as one big event. He would know of the coming of Messiah, of the coming of, of one to deliver. He would know it from the books of Moses. He would know it from the promises to David. He would know it from some of the Psalms. He would know it from various prophets who preceded him, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. He can know all of that. But, but they had this sense, as you read through all of the Old Testament, this sense that when Messiah came, that would be it. It's sort of all bunched together. Prophecy comes sometimes like that. It's sort of all bunched together. That this one would come, and when he would come, he would set up his kingdom, and that kingdom would be everlasting. We, we had a sense of that in our call to worship this morning from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, there Isaiah speaks of this, this, this child that's to be born, that's to be given. And yet, to this child, the government will be upon his shoulders, right? And so we see it, his kingdom will come. So, so, so Daniel no doubt sees all of, this, all of this together. It was only through Jesus, his coming, that we actually began to realize, oh, 
There's two. There's the first advent, the second advent. This first advent, he comes as this babe in Bethlehem to grow and to live as us for us in such a way that he then takes the burden of our sin, the guilt of it upon himself and, and dies that, that our sins may be forgiven and, 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 and believers, all, the, all those who believe in him, reconciled to God. And his kingdom comes. It's inaugurated in that sense. It's, 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 it begins. It's instituted. Uh, but yet it's not in its fullness. We know that. We see that. We understand that. And, and then there'll be the second advent when he returns in glory, of course, and he returns in glory to, to, to renew the earth and the heavens and, and, and will live the people of God uh, on this new earth in the very presence of God forever and ever. So, so we, we understand that. In fact, Jesus often would try to lay that out for his disciples. They didn't always get it, but he would try to lay that out for them. He would lay that out in parable form. He would say, well, the kingdom of heaven um, is, is, is like this place where, where there's wheat and tares that grow up together. And, and, and don't rip out the tares right away, don't, the weeds right away, because that will happen when the Son of Man comes again in his glory. He would say the kingdom of God is, is like a, a situation where a, a man gives, a master gives his servants various talents and he leaves them. And then he comes back, you see. And you go, oh, all right. And then you even remember um, after the resurrection uh, when the disciples of Jesus were with him right before the ascension. They had this question, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is, is this the time when the kingdom of God will be here in its fullness? And he said, oh, just wait a while. Right? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses first. And, and so we live in this time between the two times, if you will. The first advent and the second advent of Jesus. Daniel, it's unlikely to have seen that, really, to see these two advents. But he now sees the end. He sees it in this vision, if you, if you will. Now, as we've worked through the visions of Daniel from beginning in chapter 7, we see some similarities there. We see kingdoms rising and falling, but we see kingdoms rising and falling in the midst of one who is sovereign over all of that. You remember there was one like a son of man who was given dominion over all the peoples, over all the nations. And, and he was there and ruling and reigning. That's what was taking place in the midst of all these nations rising and all these nations uh, following. Yet throughout these visions, thus throughout this time of history that Daniel was seeing, there was a focus on the people of God. And the focus on the people of God, at least in these visions, was that there was hostility towards the people of God, that ones would come against them. And, and there was this one incident that was going to come some centuries after Daniel that we've identified with this person, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, that, that came in the second century B.C. that, that, was, that, was, that was horrible, uh, actually, Towards the people of God, this this one who came and, and persecuted, this one who came and slaughtered many, this one who came and desecrated the temple, this one who came and ended circumcision and ended sacrifice. And, and that meant everything to this people. Again, as we said, if you end their sacrifice, 
then they would begin to wonder, do I really belong to God? Do I, am I really forgiven my sin? Do I really have access to him? Can he really live amongst us? Can we really live amongst him without this sacrifice? So he ended all of that and desecrated the temple with his own gods and so forth and so on. And, and so everything that was anti-God, it seemed, came in this very one. But that wouldn't be the end. It wasn't the end. But it seems to be playing out as a, as a prototype as a forerunner, as a prefiguring of, of the end of this persecution against the people of God, uh, if you will. And in fact, he reminds us so much of this spirit of Antichrist that the Apostle John talks about. He says the spirit of Antichrist was there in that first century church, this spirit that exists that's against Christ and sets itself up over against Christ. Worship me and not Jesus. This one that says that Jesus really isn't the Son of God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It exists. It's been in the world since Jesus since, and, and, and it continues on. And, and, and though we see it sort of intensified at the end, so much so that the Apostle Paul speaks of a man of lawlessness who will come and, and set himself up as the one to be worshipped, if you will. And, and we read about it in the Revelation as various beasts come, this one in particular. And yet we see him setting himself up against Christ. Don't worship Christ, but yet worship me. And punishing all those who do worship Jesus and, and receiving and enticing all those who don't. So, so you get that sense of it. And, and, and so the big question is, will the people of God survive it? Will the people of God be enabled? Will they be able to survive that kind of thing? Notice how it's described this time of end in the middle of verse one. Uh, Daniel says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. In other words, he says, think back for him and for us. Think back throughout all of history and every atrocity that's ever taken place through and by and to another nation. Think about it. You can make your list. I can make mine. And he says, this time will be worse than those times. Nothing will be able to compare with this. Again, I don't know what that means. I didn't live through the other ones necessarily. I've only read about them. I may live through this one. Who knows? We might. We might not. We may live through others. But, but the point is, he says, he says that this one will, will, will make all the others pale in comparison. Uh, this one will be the worst of all. Whether that's simply a spiritual struggle, whether it's a physical struggle, whether it's both. But he says this is what... That would be like it would be worse than all of them. And, and, and you get the sense, as, as, as we've read some of these visions, that, uh, that there is this sense of physical persecution on the church, this sense of spiritual persecution on the church as well. And so the question is, will the people of God survive? Now, here's a spoiler alert. Yes. All right? All right? Yes. You don't want to have the, Yes. They will. Uh, but the question is, how, how can we be sure of that? Can we be confident? Is there any word of God that helps us to know that that's the case? And what, what's the means, really? How, how is that going to take place in the people of God in such a way that we, they will survive this end? And that's helpful to me as I think about that, because if, as someone who is a believer, someone who belongs to God, has been reconciled to him, if... The end comes and I'm here then. 
and I have assurance that, yes, I will survive it, then I trust I can survive anything. If you can survive the worst, surely you can survive anything less than that. So this brings confidence to me, not because I think I'm going to live through this necessarily. I have no idea at all. Um, But if I do, then this tells me I will survive. And how? And if I don't, it tells me I will survive as well. Because you know that there have been times in history when we look back and we realize the atrocities happening, and it's almost in every generation. And you think, surely this is the end. Surely it can't get worse than this. And the answer is it will. Because the end hasn't come yet. But in every generation, there's something that makes us think, oh, this must be it. There can't be something worse than this. And so I anticipate that this will give me strength in order to persevere to the end. Do you remember Jesus said that? He says that he who perseveres to the end will be saved. There isn't any being saved without perseverance. Right? There simply isn't. Once you put your hand to the plow, you put your hand to the plow, Jesus said. There isn't any turning back. You're mine, you're mine, and you will persevere to the end. If you don't, it's evidence that you weren't mine. And so that's important to us. To persevere to the end will be, yes, how? Well, let's take a look. Notice what this says about those in these last days uh, who will... um, will persevere to the end. Uh, he says, first, they'll be helped. Notice, he says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, the whole angel thing is, baffles me. I mean, I'll just be honest. It just does. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't say the Son of God will come, but Michael is going to be used. And I think this, as I read through uh, Daniel and hear other references, this other reference to Michael that we had previously, and, uh, and, and also in a couple of other places in the New Testament, uh, as being the guardian, really, of the people of God, Israel, and I assume then the church as well, kind of adopts us into his, his care as the people of God. And so, so, so he's going to come. And, and what I think the comfort there is this, that Daniel came to know, as we came to know through Daniel's vision, that there is a spiritual battle happening. We can't see it. We're not really physically engaged in it, obviously, because we're not in that sphere. We're not in that realm. And I can't jump into it and fight these demons, if you will. Uh, I don't see them. Uh, I don't live there, if you will. But we're told there's a battle going on there, too. Now, we, we see the manifestation of that in our own lives through Satan and his influence in the world and in people and so forth and so on. But, but, but if, if I know that, I, I, I want to say, well, who's fighting over there? And, and, and is the one who fights over there going to win? And the answer is, Michael is in charge of all of that, this great angel, if you will. And he's more powerful than all the others. And so he'll lead the fight. So he'll protect you. Daniel knew he did it once before, you remember, as Daniel was praying and and an angel was dispatched to give the vision to to Daniel. He was interrupted for three weeks in this fight with this other demon, it seems. And and, and Michael shows up and says, I got him. Go ahead and go. Right. And so that's this sense of it. 
I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago this scene in the, with the prophet Elisha. And he was with his servant, and they were surrounded, you remember. And, 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 and the, 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 the servant was afraid, and the prophet Elisha said, Oh, God, open his eyes. And he, God opened the servant's eyes, and he saw everywhere the, the heavenly host of you, or the host of angels. And he said, Oh, I guess we're safer than I thought. Right? And so there is that sense of this. It's in this spiritual realm, there's this battle going on, and, and God has it for us. And, he's, and he knows us, and so he says, I've got my best in charge of it, and he'll handle it for you. So don't worry about that. So, okay, good, good. I'm safe in the spiritual sphere, in this spiritual realm as well. And then he says this. He says that we're a people that will be rescued, that will be delivered. He says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, again, to Daniel, to any Israelite, uh, they'd know what deliverance was because they would celebrate, we're supposed to, and reenact every year their rescue. Every year in Passover, they were to celebrate, they were to reenact their rescue was to be as close to their minds as anything in their minds. It was to be to, as real to them as something that happened yesterday. Uh, this exodus, this, this time of deliverance, this, this rescue. And he says, well, that's going to happen. I know it's going to be horrible. It's going to be the worst of times that anyone has ever seen. But, but, but you'll be rescued at the end of it. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, they'll be rescued. And this, this rescue, you see will be a a, a vindication because you'll be resurrected to life. The resurrection, as it comes here in this vision, isn't vindication in and of itself. All will be, all will rise. Some will rise to eternal life, some to eternal punishment. We know that from throughout the scripture. It becomes more clear as the New Testament lays it out. But this is very clear here through this Old Testament prophet. There is a day when, when, when all will rise and come before God for judgment and, and some then will be given everlasting life and some uh, everlasting punishment, as he puts it here. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he says at that moment in time, your faith and your life will be vindicated. You'll be proven right. And it won't be the kind of proven right where you get to say, na, 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 na. Right? And it's not like that at all. It's the kind of proven right that you'll be humbled and you'll worship. Because what's being proven right is that God is really faithful. That God has really saved you. That all his promises are really true. And at that moment in time, you and everybody else will realize that believing in Jesus and following him, even if it costs you your job, even if it costs you your spouse, even if it costs you your children, even if it costs you your parents, even if it costs you your life. The believing in Jesus was right and true. And at that moment, it will be broadcast. And and I say that because very honestly, we all know that we have times of confusion and times of doubt in the midst of trouble. We just do. And so he's saying to Daniel, 
I know I just said it's going to be the worst of times. It's going to be the worst that you could ever imagine. But understand that there's vindication. Understand that you will be rescued. You will be delivered. That there will be resurrection to life. And when that happens, you'll see it. So hang on, knowing that. Not just hang on, but believe. Not just hang on, but flourish in the midst of this setting. Because you know that a day will come when? A day will come when? Never forget that in the midst of, of temptation. And when you're tempted to lie because you can save face if you lie. Would be, so it's easier if you lie. But, but don't. Why? Because the day will come when, even though telling the truth may hurt you at the moment, the day will come when you'll be so happy you told the truth. Uh, temptation may come to, to steal or to cheat for students on an exam. And, and, and you think, well, this, this will go better for me. I cheat on this exam. I'll do better in my class and blah, blah, blah. You know, all the, but, but, but don't. Why? Because the day will come when you'll be so glad that you didn't cheat on that exam. The day will come when your honesty, because you trust in Christ, will be vindicated. will be soon. yes, that was right and good to do. Someone who's tempted to marry an unbeliever. See, don't. You may fear the loneliness. But yet, a day will come and be so glad. So, so, no. I've emblazoned, at least I try to, on my own heart. That a day will come when God will be vindicated. His truth will be vindicated. My faith in him will be vindicated. And we've proven, yes, this is right and good. Stick this through. Persevere, you see. Until, until the end. To trust him. Um, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 25. This psalm of, of trust, really, of Humility, really. Just listen to these words or read them. As Follow along as I read them. David writes, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. You see, when he says we're going to be vindicated like this, he says you won't be put to shame. There's no shame in following me. Here's David. He's, he's, he's in a situation where... Uh, he's being hounded all the time by enemies and so forth and so on. It would be so easy for him to turn against God. It would be so easy for him to do that, which isn't right to do. And, 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 and he says, you know, why am I running when I'm the king? Why am I running when you made me king? Why all of this? And so his, the cry of his heart is, don't let me be put to shame. That's a very human response. There are times when I've usually say the smiling to the Lord. God, I... You know, you just made me look like an idiot in front of all these people. <laughs> you know? And he says, I won't put you to shame. I won't let that happen. It might be happening today. But for all eternity, it won't be happening. Right? And that's the cry, really, of, of Daniel's heart. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. You see? Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And then his prayer. And you see, this is it. 
It says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you're the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. You see, this is it. Uh, what Daniel is going to say to these people is it's the wise ones who persevere. Now, he uses that expression of all believers, really. Wise ones. That's the means by which he says, I'm making you wise, helping you to understand. And so Daniel had prayed, just as David prays, make me to know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you're the God of my salvation. For you, I, I wait all the day long. He says, he says, that's my prayer. Why? I need to be wise. Why? Because, because you're the one with wisdom, God, not me. This is the prayer of humility, really, isn't it? You see, wisdom begins with humility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To become wise means you have to first admit you don't know. To become wise means in not knowing you go to the one who does know. And admit you don't know and receive from the one who does. And so this is, this is David's prayer. This is, this is real wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing God. And to know God means I mustn't know, I don't know what he knows. Thus I go to him. God, teach me your ways. Teach me your path. They're not uh, inherently obvious to me. Lying seems like a great idea at the time. Stealing seems like a great idea at the time. Right? So teach me your ways. I don't know them. It's this humility. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. You're the God of my salvation. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and, 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 and your steadfast love, for they've been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. This is the assurance. He leads the humble in what is right. Teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and testimonies. Then verse 14. I've read this verse all my life probably, but consciously for the last probably 40 years. And I never get over it. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. You see, the fear of the Lord going to God and saying, you're God, I'm not. Please teach me. Please save me. Please help me. He says, that's what makes friendship with God. Now, if I could use a bad analogy... In the mafia, I told you it's going to be bad. In the mafia, relationship, relationships are always called friendships. Become friends. It's, it's a language. It's covenantal language. It's, it's perverted covenantal language in the mafia, but it's covenantal language, you see. And, and, and friendship and covenant means I share my life with you. I'll protect you. I'll protect you with everything that I have. 
Everything that is mine is yours. When we're friends in that sense, everything I have is yours. Everything you have is mine. We share all of this together. Now, it's perverted in, in that culture, obviously, because no one can trust one another, really. But, but that's the sense of it. And God says, my friendship is given to those who, 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 who fear me, who, who come to me in humility and desire to walk in my path. I, I become your friends. The, the, the marginal note in most Bibles say this word friendship can be translated the secret counsels of God. He says, if you want to know me, fear me. If you fear me, I'll share with you my secret counsels, and that's my covenants, my promises to you, my, my guarantees to you about life. He says, oh, you want to... That's, that's what David prays for. That's what Daniel prays for. That's what we need to have, you see, if we're going to persevere. The very friendship of God to know His... to know His covenant, to know His ways. This wisdom is reflected, I think, in this prayer of John Wesley. Called often the Wesleyan Covenant. He put it down so we could all pray it. He says, I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. Oh, now and now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. Basically, this prayer is a prayer of great wisdom, isn't it? It's the prayer who knows who he is as a creature and knows who God is as loving, redeeming creator. And he says, all right, if that be true, take it. If that be true, then, then I will receive whatever it is that you give to me, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Whether it's praise or whether it's not. Whatever it is, God. That's wisdom, you see. And it's, it's these wise ones, you see, who, who persevere to the end. That's what, that's what Daniel is, is saying to them, what Daniel is saying uh, to all of it, you see. Um, it's the wise ones who persevere to the end. Wisdom, the very wisdom of God. And, and note, there's a great purpose for those uh, who are wise. Notice in verse In verse, uh, whatever verse it is, verse 3, he says, And to those who are wise, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, the, the wise ones will be vindicated. The wise ones will be shown, yes, you were right in all of this. And you see, wisdom, as we know, it's not just simply being smart. There are brilliant people who are unwise all the time. There are brilliant people who don't see their need for Christ, which is unwise, really. Uh, brilliant people who go their own way, which is unwise, really. And, and so, so he's saying, no, the, the wise go the way of God, and they'll shine. They'll, they'll be, a day will come when they'll be vindicated, and, and they'll have great purpose in life, because in the parallelism of this particular sentence, uh, the wise ones are those who turn many to righteousness. He says, many will look to you and many will see you. What a great purpose in life. What a great purpose in life. To live following after Christ. And in living and following after Christ, then many 
will follow righteousness as well. The truth of the matter is, in our lives, our experience, we oftentimes don't even know who they are. We oftentimes don't even know who they are. These, these ones who pick up uh, after us, following after Christ because of our lives and our witness. Sometimes we, we don't know who those, those people even are, but, but you can trust this is really happening with you individually, you collectively. It may not be you individually, but, but us as a church that leads others into this righteousness, this path of following after the Lord. Uh, the group of us, you know, the whole of us doing this. But he says, that's your purpose. What a great purpose in life, even in the midst of the worst of times, even in the midst when things are really horrible these last days and all of that. He says, this is certainly uh, the truth of this. Now, two questions pop out of this. The first one coming from one of the spiritual beings, and it's in verse uh, verse six, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? In other words, how long is it going to take? Uh, how, how long from beginning to end, perhaps? Or how long is the worst of it going to be? Um, and he gets really two answers. One I would love to stick to and the other I would like to ignore. The, the one I'd like to stick to is just simply when it says a time, times and half a time. I like that because I don't know what that means. All right. Uh, some people think of the time as a year, then it's three and a half years, but it doesn't say that. So I'm not really willing to go there. Uh, but, but, but certain fixed time, that's the good news, isn't it? The time is fixed. God has it fixed. It's just going to last this time. He's sovereign over that. And of course, sometimes when we speak of the sovereignty of God, we, we kind of bristle. We ask all kinds of questions. If God is sovereign, does that mean everything's really determined? If, if God is sovereign, does that mean my prayers? What does that mean about my prayers? If God is really sovereign over all things, do I really need to pray? Do my prayers really matter? Um, uh, uh, we wonder about all of that. But, but God's sovereignty isn't given to us in Scripture as believers to make us question. It's given to us to give us comfort. He's saying, I'm sovereign. Nothing can thwart my plan. Trust me. This is going to go on for this length of time. A time, times, half a time, whatever that is. It's going to go on that long in that period of time. And then it's done. It'll be completed. It'll never happen again. You can trust me. I'm going to triumph. And the wise ones, you, you are my people. You're going, to, you're, you're going to persevere to the end. That'll be great. I've got it. See, the sovereignty of God as it's given to us in Scripture isn't to distress us, but it's to comfort us. It's to make us go, yes, I'm glad somebody's got this. And we're to rest in his sovereignty. Does it raise questions? Sure. But it's to give us comfort and peace in the midst of that. But here's the troubling part of it. It's going to last until that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things should be finished. In other words, he's saying, it'll be done when my people, his people, God's people, have lost all their power. I thought it'd go the other way. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. When you're the weakest... When it looks like to everybody outside of us that they've won, when it looks like you have no say, because you don't, when it, when it looks like you've been ostracized from the culture because you've been, when it, when it looks like you can't turn this thing around because you can't, it'll be over. So continue to persevere 
even through the worst of it, even when it looks like there's no hope. Because then it'll be over and then outcome. So then Daniel says, OK, what's going to be the outcome of this? And, 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 and the angel basically says, we're done here. You know, shut up the shut up the prophecy. This is all I'm going to tell you. Just go along your way, Daniel. Um, I'm done here. All right, I'll tell you this. So here's what he does tell them about how this is going to work out. He says, many will purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. He says, listen, during this time, the wise ones will hunker down. During this time, the wise ones will understand. During this time, the wise ones will continue to obey and continue to believe and continue to follow. And in so doing, they know that the fire of this time, the difficulty of this time, will bring purity. That is to say, it's going to burn off all that which isn't of God. And what will shine will be the proof that they do belong to God. They'll know that and they'll persevere through this time. It'll be difficult. It'll hurt. It'll be painful and all of that. But, but, but they'll get it. They'll walk through it because they'll know that they'll shine like the noonday sun. But the wicked will see this as license. The wicked will see this as, as an open door to do anything unimaginable at any other point in time. They'll do, this is just a time when they can set loose every depraved, depraved thought and action that they have. And so they'll just continue to act wickedly. And then he says, from the time that there is no longer any real worship, it will be 1,290 days. And then he says, blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. In other words, you'll outlast them. You'll outlast them. This is only going to last 1,290 days, whatever that means. But you're going to last 1,335 days, 45 more days. You're going to outlast them. Why? God says, because I've made you wise. And then the last word to Daniel is, because the next question that's unasked that I would ask is, well, now what am I supposed to do? And he says, go back to work. (laughs) He says, go your way to the end. And you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. In other words, Daniel, just continue on. Continue on with all the callings you have. He tells us, continue on. Until that happens, continue on with the callings you have as, as, a, as a follower of Christ. As a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, as a church person, as one who is a citizen in the country, the world in which we live. He says, continue on. Be faithful. Just be faithful. Live faithful to God now. It's a wonderful expression, and I have to confess, I haven't read the whole book I've only read sections of a book where this expression uh, comes up. So I don't know all the nuances of the expression. Um, So I'm declaring I'm not responsible for any errors that the author has made. But I love the expression. And it's the expression is this. That we are to live a faithful presence. In the world. If we're to live out a faithful presence. In the world, faithful to God, present in the world, so that the wisdom of God will be known and others will be led to righteousness. That's how we're to live. 
And we can do that because, you see, there's something that we really know. There's something that we really know. Because, you see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples. And he broke bread. And when he did, he said, this is my body which is given for you. The same way he took the cup, the scripture says. And this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then, he says, do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until we come. What are we doing? We're doing what the ancients did every time they celebrated Passover. They were celebrating and reenacting their rescue. We're celebrating, reenacting, our rescue. It came through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know it has happened. He has come. And since he has come, and since he has rescued, we know he'll come again and fulfill that rescue. He'll deliver us. He'll raise us to everlasting life. We, we know that. This is, we, this is in us. If you're a believer in Jesus, if I could put it this way, you're stuck with this. You can't escape this. This is, this is in you. And the reason I know that is because I'm old. And because I've been living this out. And there have been times in my life when I've tried to escape it. And I can't. He always comes. And he always forgives. And he always draws back. And he always finds. And all of that. And I can't get it out of my heart. So I know. No matter what it looks like out there, no matter what happens, he's coming back. And when he comes back, I'll see it in all of its fullness, his kingdom, the rescue, the vindication, all of it. And whatever doubt I may have in a moment now will be satisfied then. Thus we live by faith. Uh, we have evidence. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. We believe this, that we know this, that we'd be made wise in all of these things so that when the smallish tests come, which they come every day, we'll know that we belong to you. We'll be wise in it and still follow you. If we have to endure the big test, then we know that you'll purify us in the midst of it. And you'll enable us to persevere. There's one fighting in the spiritual realm. Jesus has conquered all. And thus we trust in him. So today at this table, I pray that we would know by way of this bread and juice that Christ has come. That he has died for the sins of sinners. That all who believe in him have eternal life. And we know then that since he has come, he will come again just as he promised. And we can walk with him, live day by day in his protection and his care. Help us in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I remind you, this table is not the table of the Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope, except in his sovereign mercy, but who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the Savior of sinners. You know that. Knowing that, you know you're safe in him. Knowing that, you know he's coming again. Knowing that, you trust that you'll walk with him. That's true for you. I invite you to come. These two sections come down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the cup. Know that a day will come when you'll rest. Please come.